After weeks of studying hard, putting time in your labs, looking over questions on the internet, and spending countless hours scouring Indeed, it's finally happened. You've landed a cybersecurity job interview to get your cybersecurity career started. But how do you go about getting the best out of this interview, and what are the strategies and tactics you can do to ensure the best chance of succeeding and landing that job? In today's podcast, we take a closer look at some of the best tips that I can provide with regards to mastering your cybersecurity job interview. Let's go. Hello and welcome to the Laurel Mountain Cybersecurity Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Anderson, and on this podcast, we provide information technology and cybersecurity training for aspiring professionals. If you are new to the cybersecurity industry and want an actionable strategy to get started, this is the podcast for you. New episodes are available each and every Saturday on all major podcast providers. Today's podcast is entitled Your First Cybersecurity Job Interview. And the goal of today's podcast is to give all of you who are just getting started in the space some actionable strategies on how to land your first role in this industry after your first interview. And and that's a tough ask. Uh, That may not happen for everyone. But the goal is to put you in the best possible chance to succeed. So today's podcast will be dedicated to a handful of topics that will help you and, and get you to stand out amongst the crowd. The first topic that I'll go into in a brief amount of detail is a resume. And I want to give you guys some tactics and some recommendations that will help you carve out a resume that will get attention for our technical recruiters. It will also get you past some HR hurdles that might come up. The second thing that I want to talk about today is how to prepare for your interview. And there's a lot of things that I think you should do with a technical role that will help you succeed if you get an interview for it. The third is the four parameters that I use when evaluating talent. And for context, I'm a hiring manager at a large financial institution, and one of my major roles is to build a team. And as a result, I will be interviewing people probably for the better part of the next three to four years to round out my team over the course of that time frame. And what I want to give you is my formula. And and this is not necessarily a formula that every single hiring manager will use. But I do want to give it to you as context because I think the industry will start leaning towards what I use more than perhaps a more weighted system. And we'll get into that here momentarily. I want to give you guys a kind of what to expect with your interview and some tips that will help you navigate it. And the final portion of today's podcast will be dedicated to some very commonly asked tech questions that appear in entry-level roles. And not only do I want to give you guys some Q&A here, The very final question that I'm going to explain will give you the difference between an adequate, sufficient answer and a very good technical answer that will get the attention of the people in the room. So I want to differentiate between the two. So with that said, let's get started. I want to go over some basic resume tips for you to get your first role in the cybersecurity industry. So the very first thing I want to chat with you about today is how to build a good resume for an entry-level cybersecurity role. 
And I want to give this to you from the perspective of folks that have maybe very limited technical experience. Maybe you've had one role that's had a technical responsibility, but in some cases you might not have any technical experience and that's okay. I want to give you guys some strategies that can help you overcome that. And I also want to give you guys some tips that may not be obvious to you uh, that may have been recommended say in 2019 and 2020 that are now frowned upon here in 2021, 2022 timeframe. So the first thing I want to mention, and this has been a common theme for years with resumes, but I want to reiterate it, and that is shorter is better. So if you can keep your resume to one page, that is recommended. A two-page resume would be the most I would ever recommend you submit. And the reason for this is pretty simple. Most HR personnel and hiring managers simply don't have the time to comb through a really lengthy resume. So the more concise and on point you are with shorter resumes, the better chances that your resume is going to get a closer look. So the shorter and more concise and more elegant you can make that resume, the better chances you are someone's actually going to read it. Uh, I can tell you as a hiring manager myself, my calendar is generally booked up most days and I don't have a lot of bandwidth to comb through significant piles of resumes for uh, specific tech skills. Uh, when we're hiring for roles, there are certain things that we value and that we need a candidate to come in with a base understanding of, and those are the things we're looking for. So a lot of times if those resumes have that kind of highlighted at the beginning of it, it piques our interest as opposed to having to kind of dig through the resume and hope to find what we're needing to fill that particular role. The second thing that I want to highlight, and this is something that became a trend, I think in 2019 and 2020, maybe even 2021, that I highly recommend you do not do, and that is put an and a picture or a headshot on your resume. Unless you are an actor or someone whose job role is directly impacted by your appearance, I would never recommend putting a picture on a resume. And the reason for this is twofold. One is that there's actually HR software that will automatically discard any resume that has an image on it like that. And the reason they do that is because there is too great a risk for a discrimination or bias lawsuit that comes with that. So they don't want that picture to dictate or become an issue in terms of if you get hired or not. So big, big red flag. If you take nothing else from the resume portion of this podcast, don't include a picture of yourself on a resume. It's a bad idea. It just oftentimes will get your resume thrown away. So that's a big one. The third thing that I want to say here is that if you have a technical role, obviously when you put your bullet points together for what job roles you've held in the past, make sure you're highlighting those technical accomplishments and skills that you have. And even if you don't or did not have a specifically technical job role at your previous employer, make sure you highlight technical skills that you could extrapolate into a role that might fit a cybersecurity job profile. I would assume at this point, if you're trying to get a role in the cybersecurity space, that you have some skills that you can highlight. For example, you've completed some sort of certification or that you've studied and, and have done some sort of lab work, or perhaps you've volunteered somewhere and have a reference that can vouch for your technical skills. But even if you don't, just highlight the most critical technical things that you've accomplished in your career that can shine some light and give a prospective employer what value you can bring to them. And ultimately, that is the key. Your resume has to show the employer that there's a skill set that you need that, or that you have that that employer needs, and you want to put yourself on display as best you can. So in short, keep your resume to one page, at two at the most. 
no pictures of yourself anywhere, don't do it, bad idea, get your resume discarded, highlight all of your technical achievements and highlight everything that's important to the role that you can bring to the table in terms of value. And number four is just common sense. No spelling errors, no grammatical mistakes, represent everything clearly and make sure that resume is is legible and in a good format. You'd be surprised how many times I get resumes that are in some sort of goofy cursive that you can't read. Make sure your resume is very nicely block printed, very legible. Again, technical recruiters, HR personnel, hiring managers don't have a ton of time to comb through this stuff. If you make it difficult for them, they're just going to throw that resume in the trash. So those are the tips for resumes I have for you. Again, this is not a resume writing podcast. I don't want to get too into the weeds with this, but those are the best tips that I can give you to get started. Now let's talk about how to prepare for your interview. So let's talk about how to prepare for your cybersecurity job interview. And there's a few things that I want to mention here. Uh, The very first thing that comes to mind with regards to how to prepare is that you must do your research. And there are multiple topics upon which you must research or it's in your best interest to research before ever sitting down for an interview. Number one is that keep this in mind for no matter what you're interviewing for, be it a tech role, be it a non-tech role. You are interviewing that company and those leaders just as much as they are interviewing you. So you want to work with leaders that seem to be good communicators, that seem to be concerned about your well-being, that want to facilitate your career growth, that have your best intentions in mind, not only as an employee that's working for their team to grow a particular line of technology, but to help your career grow in the same time. So when you sit down for that technical job interview, you want those people on that same page with you. So it's a good idea when you're speaking to them to evaluate them and have questions for them. So step number one is do your research, research the company, and when you're sitting down, take stock of who's interviewing you because they're a direct representative of that company, right? That's the first people that are talking to you, so that's the first impression you're getting just as much as you're making a first impression on them. The next thing that I would recommend is do your research on the company itself, maybe not necessarily just the folks that are talking to you and interviewing you, but read about the company. What do they do? What are their values? What are their goals? And make sure that they align with your values if that's important to you. Studies have shown that Generation X folks like myself who are in their mid-40s primarily don't care about corporate values aligning with their own personal values. But as you get younger and younger in the workforce, millennials and Gen Zers most definitely do. It's over 50% for Gen Zers, and it's about 45 to 47% for millennials. So both of those groups of people want to work for companies that have comparable views to themselves and meet culture requirements that fit their needs. So if that's important to you, you need to research the company prior to interviewing with them. If they don't align with your views, perhaps that you know this is a company that works in the fossil fuel industry, for example, and you're very environmentally conscious, you might want to think twice about interviewing with them if that's important to you. The next thing that I think is underdone in the cybersecurity space in particular, and it's not necessarily the person who's about to be interviewed's fault, but it is a challenge we have in the industry itself. And quite frankly, it's about doing the research on the job role itself. And part of the problem is that the postings that you see on job boards like Monster and LinkedIn and Indeed oftentimes just flat out suck. There's just no other way to put it. 
And the problem isn't even anyone's fault in particular. Oftentimes, technical folks like myself have specific skills and specific technologies we need for a person to fit our space. And that technical story isn't told by us. It gets kind of muddied and extrapolated into an HR person's domain without ever having direct interface with us. So what does that HR person do? They just see a bunch of acronyms that they don't know what the heck it means. So what they do is they take an old job interview that or a job request that kind of fits what you're looking for that just has a blast of random technology and acronyms and certifications that might fit your needs and put it out into the interwebs. And what that means is you get a job listing that has just a gobbledygook of technology and certifications that may or may not align with the job role. So my recommendation here is that anytime you get scheduled for an interview, it's a good idea to ask that recruiter or that person who's setting up that interview more specifics on the job role. Tell me about this role. What are my primary responsibilities? What team am I interviewing for? Those are all good questions because that'll narrow down what you're actually going to be doing. In a previous podcast, I spoke at length about cybersecurity job titles meaning nothing. And what I mean by that is a cybersecurity engineer could work in the crypto space or they could write Java code. I mean, they could do totally different functions and technology. Job roles don't aren't dictated by job titles. Job titles oftentimes are just a hierarchy of how much you get paid and your responsibility levels within a company. They don't really mean anything in terms of what actual work you're doing. So it's a good idea to ask that HR person or that technical interviewer what specifically you're going to be doing in that job role. Something that is undersold in this space is salary. And it's becoming better. A lot of companies now are far more transparent with salary. But if you have a certain amount of money that you need to make in mind, immediately put that out there. Just just go right at it and say, what is the expected salary range of this role? Be honest with it. A good manager will give you a straight answer because salary is why we all work, right? Everyone works to make a living. So putting that information out there in clear, tangible context, I think is a responsibility for that company. So just put it out there. And if they give you kind of a wishy-wash answer, like, oh, compensatory to the role or, you know, something, you know, non-value, then you put the number out there so that they know where you're standing. You know, you give them what you're looking for in terms of a salary range. That way they know where they stand and they can, you know, mix and match what the salary range is. And I would shoot high, always shoot high. It's way easier to start high and then come down a little than it is to go up. So always start high in a salary negotiation, never start, you know, at a bare minimum because that's what you'll get. So the last thing I want to say here in this, in terms of research is come with questions for the company. And there are two questions that I always want to hear from prospective candidates. One is, what are your expectations for the role? So in terms of what I want, you know, what is the, the expected goals and, and expectations for the person who fills that role? And then how do I succeed in that role? Ask both questions. That will get the attention of a hiring manager. Those questions are direct. Those questions are someone who's goal-oriented. Those questions are actionable. Those are good questions to ask someone who's giving you an interview. So keep those two in the back of your pocket. What are the expectations for the role and how do I succeed? What is your perception of success for somebody in this space? So those are your preparatory steps. Those are your research points. In the next section, I want to talk about 
the four key parameters that I evaluate when I do a technical interview for a prospective candidate in my space. So in this section of the podcast, I want to kind of give you a glimpse of how I personally evaluate a cybersecurity candidate in my space for the financial institution I work for. And I want to give you this information so that you as a prospective cybersecurity newcomer to the industry can kind of get an idea of what to focus on or what might be expected from a hiring manager. And I take these four parameters into anyone I'm evaluating, be it a mid-career to expert level role or someone who's new to the industry. I take them equivalently. And I think this is a really good way to interview people because all four of these are really important in today's 2022 cybersecurity landscape. So let me give you these four parameters that I use to evaluate talent. The first is obvious. It is their inherent base technical ability. So I'm gonna provide a handful of questions later in this interview. Some of these I use, some of them I don't use, but I ask technical questions that kind of extrapolate skills that will be useful for our space in technology. And if the candidate can provide me good answers to these questions, then likely they score well on the technical portion of the interview. If they don't answer the questions completely, then they probably get a mid-range score. And if they just botch all the technical questions or they can't answer them, then they likely get a low technical score. And you would think that if the you know candidate just botches the technical part of the interview, then it's over. And in some cases that's true. If they just have no technical ability at all and you know they're it's obvious they're just not ready for a technical role, then you know that's that. But if there's some base foundation and they score well in other areas, which I'll get to in a minute, there's a chance they can make up the score in other places. Technical ability is something that I can teach. And that is the key. And that brings me to number two. Number two, which is as important as number one, is teachability. If I get a candidate that comes in that just appears to know everything or is arrogant or has an ego, I don't necessarily want that person on my team most of the time because that particular person isn't teachable. Oftentimes, that means they're mid-career expert level people but in some cases, it could be someone walking in the door with a fresh degree. But teachability in cybersecurity is a really big deal. Technology changes constantly. There's new and more elegant solutions that come down the pike every five to seven to 10 years that replace a swim lane of technology. Uh, there's examples of this. Uh, the one that I've used repeatedly is Frame Relay. Back in when I first started with the CCNA study track in the mid 2000 realm, the CCNA had a big section on frame relay. Frame relay was a technology used to connect multiple sites together. It was very commonly used and it was an important technology if you're a network engineer and it was something you needed to learn. Fast forward to today and the frame relay is not even on the CCNA. Nobody really uses it anymore. It's been replaced by MPLS or it's been replaced by software defined networking or maybe dynamic multipoint VPN, pick your poison, but it's gone. It's just not around much anymore. It's rare. So it's not something that is a you know current technology. If you are unteachable, then you're choosing not to learn things like software-defined networking or dynamic multipoint VPN or MPLS. And if you're not willing to learn those new technologies, you are going to be left behind in the tech space. 
So teachability is just as important to me as tech skills. Because if you don't have foundational tech skills, I can teach those to you. But if you're not teachable, I can't make you teachable. And that's a big deal. So those two are the number one and number two things I look at. Number three is does this person and their skill set fit the role I have? I had a person I interviewed a few months back who I really liked, but their skill set just didn't align with my space. So I recommended them to another team and that person's doing phenomenally well in our space. So that is a big deal. A fit to the role can sometimes kind of, you, know, you might be trying to put a square peg in a round hole. So you take someone who has very good skills in a particular discipline and you help another team in your space do well. And I think that's important in this industry. There's a lot of teams and a lot of cybersecurity groups looking for talent. And if you find someone that you feel is a good candidate, but just doesn't fit your role specifically, it's probably a good idea to help out your other groups. And, and in that case, we did that. So the fit to the role is an important piece of the puzzle. If they have a good foundational skill set in, let's say, programming and development, and you have a role that's very server heavy, it might be a good idea to you know, guide that person to a development role that will highlight their skills. And the final one here is a culture fit. So is this person, will their personality and the way they conduct themselves on this interview, will they fit on my team? And I find this just as important as any of the other three that I put there. When we're building teams in technology, I want input from my, my group. So if I have a handful of people on my team, I want them to interact with new prospective members of the team to make sure there's culture fit, that we're not going to have personality clashes or we can avoid it as much as possible. I want the person that we hire to feel that they're valued. I want the person to feel the team that they're contributing. I want the person on the team to feel like their voice is heard. So I want all of the people that I bring together to have the ability to work as a unit. So having a culture fit is a huge deal to us. And I feel that that is a, an undervalued portion of the puzzle. So those are the four things that I specifically look at in my space. I can't say that every company is the same. I can't tell you that Amazon is gonna overlook tech skills because someone's super teachable and is a culture fit to their group. Amazon is so competitive that they can probably find someone with all of those criteria in spades because a lot of prospective technology students wanna go work for Amazon or Facebook or Google or Apple or what have you, and that's fine. And if that's your goal, more power to you, but Keep in mind, those particular companies are going to have the cream of the crop. They're going to have the very most motivated and technically decorated people that want to go join those those companies because they provide the most perks, benefits, and salary. So there's you know bigger, bigger fish, bigger pond. So in those regards, that's what I look for for my team from a technical perspective, from a culture fit, from a fit to the actual role I'm hiring for and teachability. Those four particular pieces of the puzzle make up my decision if I want to hire someone or not. So the next portion that I'd like to go over very briefly is what you can expect from an interviewer in a technical interview. So in this section of the podcast, I want to give you some ideas as to what you can expect in terms of what kind of questions you'll be asked in a technical interview. And obviously you'll be asked technical questions and we'll get into that in the final section of the podcast here this evening. 
but I want to provide you some insight as to a specific type of interviewing technique that's very common in the industry and how you can evaluate it and do your best with it. So the interviewing technique in question is entitled behavioral based interviewing. And the theory with it is the experiences that you've provided in the past will dictate what you'll do in a comparable situation in the future. So a commonly asked behavioral based interviewing question could be phrased such as the following. Please give me a time when you had a very challenging project or task to complete and how did you go about completing that task? So the question itself is very open-ended. It's very liberal. You can answer that in a lot of different ways, but the way that that is evaluated is the more specific you are in answering that is obviously not just ramble or BS will provide you more tangible results than just really general basic answers. So if you can give somebody a very specific story about how you solved a technical problem with very good details, with very specific steps and procedures that you followed, that will provide that interviewer a better score in a behavioral-based interviewing situation. And behavioral-based interviewing is most likely the most common interviewing tactic in the world. It's usually used for anything from customer service jobs to technical jobs. And I wanna give you guys sort of an insight to that so that you know what you're coming up against because oftentimes technical interviews can be stressful. You're, you're worried about technology that someone might ask you that you're not familiar with, but it, oftentimes the questions aren't explicitly technical, they will be more generalized like that. And they're gonna look for specifics on how you solved a problem, what steps you took, how organized you were, and how detailed you are. A Couple of other things I wanna just highlight very quickly. Be very honest in an interview. If somebody does ask you a question about technology that you just don't know, it is far better to provide an answer under the context of that you don't know the answer yourself but explain to the interviewer how you would research that answer. How would you go about finding it? I would much rather someone just be honest and say, look, I don't know what you're asking me, so here's how I would go about finding that. Because there will be times when we are doing work in technology that nobody has an instantaneous answer for. And that's okay, Google exists, right? Being part of the technology community means you're a damn good Googler. You have to be, it's just part of your job. You're gonna research random log messages that nobody in their right mind has memorized all of the appropriate best practice troubleshooting steps for. It's okay to research. So be honest, if you don't know the answer, don't make stuff up. If you make stuff up and you get somebody on the other end of that interviewer who knows what you're, you're trying to explain and you're butchering it, your chances of getting that job go down significantly. Because that tells that interviewer, if you don't know the answer to something or you don't know how to do something, you're just going to go in there and go willy nilly, you know, and potentially break something critical. I would much rather someone come to me and say, hey, I don't know how to do this. Help me. So be honest. If you don't know the answer to something, explain how you'd research it. Don't just make stuff up. Half the fight in today's remote job heavy world is your ability to convey information. And a lot of times that's a verbal scenario because you're on Teams meetings, you're on Skype meetings, you're on Zoom meetings, and oftentimes you're either in a box on someone's computer screen and the only thing that they know of you is how you sound on, on Teams, 
And being articulate is half the fight. So whenever you're in a verbal communication experience with these interviewers, the more articulate you are, the more composed and the more well-spoken you are, the better chances you are going to make an impression on them. Because the reality is a lot of what we do in this line of work is communicating our technology, the reasons why we want to implement it, the reasons why it's a positive force into the company that you're attempting to leverage, it's how you articulate your story to those folks, particularly leadership. So being articulate is a big deal. And be professional. No, not Don't curse so much. Don't use a lot of contractions. Speak very professionally. You want to make an impression over others that have been interviewed, particularly if you are new to the industry. You want to make an impression that you're teachable, that you're excited, that you're a professional, that you have a a good communication skill. So what you may lack in technical aptitude, you make up for in communication skills. You may find this a little crazy, but a lot of times technologists are poor communicators. They're phenomenal hands on keyboard, you know, configuring switches, routers, servers, what have you, but you put them in front of leadership and they they just can't talk. They're just not good communicators. So bring something to the table. Being professional will keep those impressions of you on a positive light and can help make up for some of the maybe technical deficiencies you may have if you are just getting started and don't have a huge technical background. So the final topic that I'd like to chat with you about today is technical job questions. So obviously in a technical interview, you are going to be asked some technical questions to ascertain your technical aptitude. And a lot of times people will ask me this when they know I do tech interviews. They'll say, well, what do I really need to know? What's the most commonly asked stuff that interviewers will will ask me so that I can ace my tech interview? And the reality is I can't give you specifically every question a technical interviewer could ask. It often depends on the company. It depends on what role they're filling. It depends on how they're how they evaluate talent. But as a general rule, there are a couple things I can tell you. One is that there are a lot of blogs and websites that have lists of the most commonly asked cybersecurity job interview questions. And I would absolutely go to those sites, read those, and have a general understanding of those questions when you interview. So take a few minutes, study them. It doesn't, you don't have to learn every single one, but obviously studying those and having a good idea of some of the questions an interviewer might ask you, you know, from a general sense is a good idea. And a few of those questions that you're likely to find on those lists, I'm going to answer for you today. And the way that I'm going to do this is as follows. I'm going to answer a handful of the most commonly asked questions. And the last question that I'm going to answer, I'm going to answer twice. Once the first answer I'm going to give you is enough to check the box to say, Hey, this person understands what this does. But the second answer is going to be much more detailed And it's going to provide a technical recruiter or it's going to provide someone who's on the other end of that interview an idea that you really understand that technology in a very deep level. And that's where you want to go, you know, as someone who's new to the industry. If you can impress somebody with some technical aptitude that you've studied, that you've put some information, you put some effort into this, then that's a big deal. So what I'm going to do is answer a handful of these technical questions for you so that you have an idea of what a good answer sounds like for a lot of them. A couple of them that I'm going to ask are very general, that are asked ubiquitously. They're very common, and you likely already know the answers to them, but I'm still going to answer these so you can hear a good answer uh, in the event that you're new to the industry and, and want to try to get prepared. 
So the first question that I'm gonna answer is probably the most commonly asked tech question in all interviews, and that is, please describe a TCP handshake. And this is very commonly asked. Um, it's something that, you know, if you're in the tech industry long enough, somebody somewhere will ask you this question. And it's designed to ascertain if you have any kind of networking background. It's probably the most basic networking question you can get asked. So the way this works is there's usually two parties involved, a client and a server. Generally speaking, the client is going to send a SYN to, to the server. The SYN flag it stands for synchronization, and it's going to send a SYN message to the server that it wants to connect. Once that server receives that SYN, it is going to reply to the client with a SYN ACK, or a synchronization acknowledgement, and it's going to send that back to the client. Once the client receives that SYN ACK, the client then sends an ACK, or an acknowledgement, to the server and establish the connection for a TCP handshake. Obviously, there's more details you can get involved with that. You can get into, a, into the weeds quite quickly, but that should be sufficient to answer a very basic entry-level cybersecurity job interview. The second question I'm going to ask is also network-based because a lot of times networking is very commonly asked in the space. And this question is, please describe or please list the seven layers of the OSI model. And if you do this really quickly and rapidly, then they're gonna obviously understand you have studied networking and understand you know, the layers that are involved here with the OSI model. But if you take too long, you know, interviewers know Google's a thing, you know, cell phones are a thing, you could look this up really quickly. So the more you know, hastily you answer this, the better, particularly if it's a remote interview. And those answers are as follows. Layer one is the physical layer. Layer two is the data link layer. Layer three is the network layer. Layer four is the transport layer. Layer five is the session layer. Layer six is the presentation layer. And layer seven is the application layer. Those are the seven layers of the OSI model. Um, if you've ever listened to a gentleman by the name of Keith Barker, he's one of my IT heroes. The guy is, he's been doing online teaching, gosh, since probably the late 2000s era. And he has an acronym for the OSI model. And it's stuck with me for years. And the acronym is, please do not throw sausage pizza away. So that's P-D-N-T-S-P-A. Please do not throw sausage pizza away. And if you can remember that acronym, then you can remember a very quick way to leverage a mnemonic to remember the layers of the OSI model. Sometimes interviewers will throw a follow-up question with the OSI model at you, like they'll ask you, well, what are, what's the protocol data unit for this particular layer? And if they do that, here are the PDUs for each. The protocol data unit for the physical layer is bits. The protocol data unit for the data link layer is frames. The protocol data unit for the network layer are packets. And the protocol data unit for the transport layer are segments. So those are the answers for the OSI model question. Again, you may or may not get this. It is very commonly asked to ascertain networking competency for entry-level candidates. A more cybersecurity specific question that's asked very commonly in the space is please describe what is the difference between a threat of vulnerability or a risk? So let me give you the answer to this very quickly. A vulnerability refers to a weakness in your code somewhere in your software, a vulnerability in your hardware's firmware, or something that's procedural. A threat actively exploits that vulnerability and can damage or destroy whatever asset that it corresponds to. And a risk refers to the probability or potential that this particular action occurs. 
That is the most concise way that I can answer that question for you. It's very simple. It's very cut to the point. It's very, you know, cut and dry. I don't need a 10-minute dissertation on this. And unfortunately, in many interviews, I get a very long dissertation as to what vulnerability, threat, and risk is. So that is a good, concise way to answer that question. And the final question that I'm going to answer is the one that I had kind of teased at the beginning of the section, which is, I'm going to answer this question twice. I'm going to answer it once in a way that is very basic, and I'm going to answer it in a second way that's very detailed. And that question is another networking question, and it is, please explain how Traceroute works and what it does. So the base answer here, or the checkbox answer here is, Traceroute goes through the network and shows a network path between one point to another. So that's what Traceroute does. If you send a Traceroute through the network, it's gonna tell you every single point that that particular packet goes to get from point A to point B. And for most interviewers, that is sufficient. But if you really want to impress an interviewer, you can extrapolate upon that and say something like the following. Traceroute will actually send a packet out into the first hop of your network. If it's Windows, it will use ICMP. If it is a Cisco router or Linux, it will use UDP. And the trick here is that it will send a packet with a time to live, a TTL of one. And what ends up happening whenever you send a packet to a network device with a TTL of one, TTL stands for time to live. Time to live means once that hits zero, that packet dies. It's immediately dropped from the network and the source is told that packet goes away. And the way this works is that TTL message exceeded response time is how Traceroute knows where that particular packet died. So what it does is it's gonna send out another set of packets with a TTL of two. So it hits that first hop and it goes to the next hop and that packet dies again. And it usually sends these out into bursts of three. So that's why when you look at a Windows Traceroute console, there's usually three times in milliseconds that correspond to a Traceroute because it's sending out three at a time. It's giving how many milliseconds it takes for that exceeded message to come back. And then it tells you the name of the source that sent back that exceeded message. So that is how Traceroute actually works. The responses are always ICMP. The original source traceroute in Windows uses ICMP as a source. Cisco and Linux use, or Cisco IOS and Linux use UDP. So that is how traceroute actually works. And that's a very detailed definition, very detailed explanation of how the traceroute protocol actually figures out what each hop is. It just sends out repeated packets with an ex extra TTL of one every time it gets an excessed and exceeded time limit message. And it just keeps doing that till it hits the end destination. So those are some very basic cybersecurity questions that you may get asked in interviews. The traceroute question is kind of a stretch. You may or may not get asked that if you're in a networking role or if you're you know, someone who you know, is just getting started, you might. Uh, if you are in the crypto space, obviously you'll get asked crypto questions. If you're in the cloud space, you'll get asked cloud questions. You know, just be prepared with whatever technology set that you're trying to land a cybersecurity job role with. Be prepared to answer questions that meet that role's responsibilities. So to review, be prepared for your interview. Take the time to research the company. Be prepared to research the actual role itself. Understand what you're getting yourself into. Make sure that when you answer technical questions that you don't make things up. The more concise you are and the more accurate you are, the better off you are. 
be honest, make sure that when you're answering technical questions, if you don't know the answer, just admit you don't know the answer and provide the interviewer how you would research that particular topic. In terms of what I interview for when I interview talent, my four keys are technical ability, the fit to the role, teachability, and culture fit. And I value all four of those equally. And I want to make sure that when I bring people into my environment, they have enough technical skills, they're a culture fit, they're a good fit for the actual role itself, and they have the ability to be taught new things. If they can meet those four criteria, then oftentimes we can make a move on them and bring them into our team. As always, I appreciate all feedback. I know this has been 40 minutes long, so I appreciate if you've listened to the entirety of this episode. Uh, as always, there'll be new episodes each and every Saturday. I missed last week because I was ill, but there will be some more uh, actual podcast activity coming up soon. I have some plans to expand the actual amount of content that we produce on a regular basis, so stay tuned for that. As always, I thank you for listening. I will see you next time, but until then, good night. Good night.